Well, thank you, Mark, for that reading. There's some pretty evil names, uh, and it was quite long as well. Uh, and also, thank you for coming along tonight. I realise the weather is amazing, um, so it's good that you're here in person or online. That's, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just chuffed you're here. <laughs> uh, I'm also quite thankful that the uh, Euro, 2000, Euro fixtures have been made so that they were quite convenient. The match was at 2, 2 p.m., so there's plenty of time for us to come together at half past six. Um, but if, you'd, if you can, please cast your mind back to about a year ago when we were looking at the, the beginning of the first lockdowns. There was an awful lot of talk about all being in it together. Um, and slowly everybody realised that actually this COVID thing is quite a serious situation. Not, not just a situation that affects people in China far away or people in Italy or people that work in hospitals, but actually it's going to affect all of us. It's going to affect school children. It's going to affect people who want to travel on a train or people who just want to go out to eat in a restaurant. Like many people, I started following the Joe Wicks uh, fitness uh, thing, uh, PE lessons at 9 a.m. Uh, I mean, I realized that they're meant for kids. I realized that. But they were good fun. Uh, and um, it was great to feel like you were part of something bigger, like we were all in this together. Um, I, I particularly liked it when Joe did shout-outs to people across the country and, and across the world. People who are all in the same position, all struggling with the restrictions, all kind of trying to work it out for themselves and all keeping fit following the stupid things they asked us to do. We were all in it together. There's been quite a few bands that have released lockdown songs. Um, there's a band called Everyone You Know. Uh, that's the name of the band. Uh, they have a refrain in their song that goes... We're all going through the same thing. They keep repeating, we're all going through the same thing. It's okay, we're struggling together. But that doesn't mean we had the same experience. Actually, experiences of lockdown were really different depending on what your life situation was. I know some first-year university students who really struggled meeting people outside of just the halls of residence that they've been shoved into. They, they really struggled with that. And I know other people who, who were parents and struggled with trying to do school, school works, trying to do the homeschooling when they didn't have any experience or any desire to do that. And I know other people who loved it. It's a great excuse to not have to attend all those social events that you might feel obliged to go to. We all had different, unique experiences. So we aren't going through the same thing so why bother gathering together? It makes sense that if people enjoy watching ballet, that they go and do that together. Or if you are in a band, you want to do that together. Or if you play a team sport, you need to gather together. But church, like Christian stuff, that's private, isn't it? That's just between me and God. In our passage today, the people are all gathered together. That's, that's how the passage starts. They're getting united because they are all going through the same thing, but they also all want the same thing. What they want is for Ezra. Ezra's the scribe, the guy with all the books. They want Ezra to come out and read the Bible. Now, I've been around church for a while, and um, I've helped with the Tuesday youth stuff, and never have we ever had the kids turn around and say, Pete, no more games. I don't want these games. I don't like these socials. I want you to read the Bible to me. I just want you to read it to me. That's pretty unusual in adult groups as well. 
And it's pretty unusual even back at this time. These people had kind of forgotten what God had done. But now they were being brought back to Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the walls. They were starting to you know, rebuild the temple, um, sort, their, sort their lives out, sort their, their mission out. It's got to be a move of the Spirit that makes them want to hear the Bible. Now, I appreciate this sermon series has all been about Nehemiah. And we've just read a passage mostly about Ezra. Um, there are actually two books. There's the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, and they're about the same bit of history. But what they're doing overlaps. At one point, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were actually stuck together into one book. Uh, but now we're used to them being two separate books. So we, we've learned previously in other weeks that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, and now he's uh, come as the local governor, and he's sorting out the walls, and he's making sure that people uh, don't go hungry or get forced into debt. Like He's doing good stuff. I can see why people like Nehemiah. I can see why people want to gather around Nehemiah. I see that he's doing important things. But Ezra, he's just standing up, like, going to read the Bible. People can do that in their own time, or is it just for the benefit of people who can't read? I don't, like, what, what's the point? Well, he's reading the books of the law, the books of Moses, sometimes called the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of that is really interesting. Some of that's really exciting. And some of that might not be quite so exciting. Some of it actually repeats. There's the same bit of history discussed twice. And then Ezra, he starts reading at first light. He starts reading at dawn, and then he continues to midday. That's six hours of reading. And the miracle is it says the people were attentive. Now, I really enjoyed some of my lectures at university, but an hour could be a bit of a struggle. And if I'm honest, a 20-minute sermon, that's how long we've got, guys, uh, a 20-minute sermon can be a bit of a struggle. So being attentive for six hours? Well, how, how do they do that? I've got three different points. Firstly, they're practical. They build a tower. They build a wooden tower. And Ezra reads it distinctly. He reads it clearly so everybody can hear and understand. They invest in meeting together. They get their technology sorted. I find technology can be a bit of a pain, and I often worry it gets in the way. Um, but if it goes wrong or if it's not working properly, that can be a bigger distraction. We need to invest in meeting together. I think a Christian group needs to be in a welcoming space with, a, with an open door, with refreshments when that's a legal thing that we can do, um, with toilets, Let's make it easy for people to hear the Bible. Let's make it easy for us to hear the Bible. There are apps for your phone, there's YouTube videos, and there's even, you can have Poirot read it to you, read the whole Bible to you. So firstly, they're practical. They get the practicalities sorted. Secondly, there's a team of people getting involved. Ezra isn't just this amazing maverick speaker on his own doing his thing. He's got a bank of other people around him. That gives Ezra and those other people some kind of authority, but it also means that there are other people that can help the, the general people understand. It's imp uh, so recently, we've been looking at racial diversity in Christchurch. We've had a lot of discussion about that, um, but there are a lot of other elements to diversity, and that diversity brings strength far beyond the strength of each individual member. Everybody wants to understand. Everyone should get to understand. 
but people are coming from different places, they've got different questions. So we need a diversity of leadership. We need a whole set of leaders to manage that. And these leaders in the passage, they get an extra day of teaching. They get some kind of extra schooling uh, to make sure that they're trained and equipped and ready to answer those questions. So they're practical. They've got a team. And they're prepared spiritually. When Ezra opens the Bible, when Ezra opens those books, not called the Bible then, but when Ezra opens those books, they say, Amen! Amen! They're so excited about it. Uh, and then they respond by worshipping the Lord with their faces to the ground. Sometimes we see the musicians as kind of the hype man for the sermon. Thank you, Tim. That's... Sometimes we see the music as the fun bit, and then the sermon as a, like an interval where we can go on our phone or have a quick nap. But actually, the main event is responding to God. The main event is having our lives transformed and changed by God. The main event is responding to God. So the, the people listen to the first five books of the Bible being read, and we kind of have to assume from the passage that they're just so shocked about their sin and their lack of faith that they start crying. So God created this amazing world for them back in Genesis, and um, he fulfilled all these incredible promises, bringing them out of slavery, and yet they forgot about it. They ignored his law. The people are so convicted that they start crying. That's actually quite a common reaction to meeting with God, knowing our own inadequacy and failure and glimpsing his glory and his love. But crying isn't what Nehemiah wants them to do. It's not what God wants from them. It's a holy day. They may feel like crying, but part of being spiritually disciplined and obedient is coming together to celebrate. So they have this amazing big festival where the people go outside and they live in temporary shelters. I like to think it's a bit like New Wine or Soul Survivor Christian festivals, other than we bring our tents with us and they had to go and fetch the bits from the countryside. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's celebrating the history of the people of Israel, that they had been brought out of slavery and that they were led through the desert by a pillar of smoke and fire. Now, the people in Nehemiah's day don't really know what they're doing. They aren't following some tradition like, what did we do for the Feast of the Tabernacles last year? They're just following the instructions in the Bible. They don't even feel like it. They feel like crying. But in this situation, the obedient response in this moment is to remember to celebrate what God has done, to be obedient and to celebrate. Well, this year, I know that many of us, uh, me, I, I did, uh, found Christmas tough. We look forward to, we looked forward to it. We look forward to the traditions, the parties, the food, seeing our families. But this year felt really hard as we couldn't do the things that we love. But we still had something to celebrate and we still have something to celebrate. John chapter one, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus came to the earth, not as a mighty general, but as a baby, living in a temporary, messy, yucky, poopy, horrible way that babies have to live. He lived on earth and experienced pain, not just the pain of 
physical labor in a carpenter shop, but the emotional pain of betrayal and the torture of crucifixion. And he chose it for love. He did it for love. And he defeated death. That is something worth celebrating. Sometimes as Christians, we can get a bit blasé about what Jesus has done for us. It it requires discipline to remember to celebrate our fortunate, privileged situation. It's our duty to celebrate. It's our duty to party. The sermon next week is all about the discipline of celebration, so I can't say too much more about that. Do come back next week. Um, Maybe we'll practice some of that. Uh, There's a guy called Richard Foster, and he wrote a book on spiritual disciplines. It's a great book, uh, and it ends with the discipline of celebration. He talks about these spiritual disciplines. What does that mean? Well, I think they're kind of habits, habits to develop, to keep you spiritually healthy. There are some things like prayer and meditation and fasting or study that you can do on your own. It's not impossible, but it's a lot better doing it in a group. Um, I think praying in a group is yeah, much more powerful. It feels much more powerful. And, the, um, and fasting, if you're fasting on your own, that can be quite tough. But if you know others are fasting with you, that's really helpful. We also need a community to have a privilege of serving others. And serving is a spiritual discipline. That's good for our spiritual health. Having that opportunity is good. And there are other disciplines that are so much better when we're in community. Things like confession, worship, giving, receiving guidance or giving guidance, and of course, celebration. It's great to do that as part of a community. So it's tempting to think of meeting together for church as like an additional for life. Another thing to remember to fit in, to pack into our schedule. And there are lots of other activities at church, so it's tempting just to think, oh, God wants me to do more and more. And they can be helpful, but I don't think that God is calling us to add stuff necessarily. He's looking for us to go deeper in, not just to treat church as a service to make us feel better. That might mean getting, going slower or, or choosing to not do things, but it really means surrendering. Surrendering, listening, and responding. Sometimes that might mean by responding by confession or serving others or giving or studying or celebrating. How is he calling you to respond? This evening we'll be having communion together and that will include an opportunity to confess, to remember what Jesus has done and to celebrate together. Uh, many of you know that Christchurch actually has lots of mission partners uh, kind of across the, across the globe doing all sorts of different things. Uh, the mission of the month is Christians Against Poverty. And we have our own branch of the debt advice, uh, debt counselling service here based at Christchurch. But there are other people that are working around the globe in really isolated situations, often as one of the only Christians there with language barriers, with all sorts of uh, difficult situations. And The thing that they really love is when they get to meet together, when they get to meet together with other Christians. They find that really powerful. I think we need to remember those workers in our prayers. 
and include them as part of the community as much as we can. Lockdown has given us a taste of what it's like being lonely in that situation, being uh, stuck out on our own. And although the Christian experience is all different and it's unique for each person, we're all in it together. At the start of the talk, I mentioned Joe Wicks and his PE lessons. Um, we all know that it's good to do some exercise. And he kept on telling us about Captain Serotonin, who would meet us at the end. But I think the, the initial enthusiasm for Joe Wicks and his PE lessons has kind of faded. It faded quite a while ago. We, it doesn't feel like we're all in it together quite the same as lockdown one. There are lots of other distractions. We can now go and see each other in gardens and watch the football. It's kind of the same with spiritual disciplines. Sometimes we get a bit cynical, we lose interest, uh, but it's much easier to stay strong if we're running the race together. So now restrictions of ease, we can meet together, we can worship, uh, there's no singing, but the crowd in Nehemiah's day, they just worship with their faces in the ground. They, it's not the act of singing that's the important thing, it's the attitude of our heart. And often that's guided by the singing, but it's the attitude of our heart that's important. The people in Ezra's day didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have a tradition of playing the guitar and then listening someone, to someone talk for 20 minutes. They just felt like something was missing and they needed to hear the Bible. They started crying and that's fine. They needed to respond. So when I was praying about this sermon, I, I felt that God wanted to tell us three things or three things to different people in the congregation. Firstly, well done. Well done, you're here tonight, you're tuned in online, like, that's great. Well done. Secondly, you are loved. Wherever you are, whatever's happening in your life, he knows about you. And he loves you. Whatever you're doing, whatever's happening to you, he knows about it. And he loves you. And thirdly, keep going. Further up, further in, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn about scripture. So much deep love to try and comprehend. There's so much mystery to explore. So wherever you are, well, whichever uh, response that you want to have tonight, whether that's confession, whether that's crying, whether that's celebrating, I'd ask us that we do it together, that we enjoy that together. Ask God, how is he calling you to respond? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the way that you love us, that you know us, uh, that you know every detail of our lives. Even when we're ignorant or we don't understand, you are there. You forgive us. You take us back. Lord, I pray that you will convict us of how to respond, how to respond to your love, that we will know what you want us to do. And Lord, that we will have the courage to be obedient to it. Amen. Amen.